to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 28. I'll be reading verse 16 to verse 20, the end of the gospel. can be found on page 993 in the Pew Bible. Let us now hear God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thus far the reading of God's word. May his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, I encourage you to turn in the Forms and Prayers book at this time, and I'm going to read the question and answer of Lord's Day 8. Lord's Day 8, and that can be found on page 209 in the Forms and Prayers book. What is astonishing about the Gospels, and what is astonishing about it is the Trinitarian teaching that we find in the Gospels. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is by God's grace through faith that we are able to see and believe this teaching of the one true God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's what Lord's Day 8 is about. It's about the doctrine of the Trinity. And in the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 7, it gives at question and answer 23 the articles of the Christian faith, which is the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is broken down into three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one true God. And now we get to question and answer 24. How are these articles, the articles of the Christian faith and the Apostles' Creed, divided into three parts? God the Father and our creation. God the Son and our deliverance, and God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. And then on the next page, question and answer 25. Since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The answer, because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true, eternal God. And we're going to see the truth of this teaching in our sermon passage this evening in the Great Commission. So congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, here we have in our passage in Matthew chapter 28, the the conclusion of Matthew's gospel. This is After the resurrection, he's raised from the dead, and he meets the women, and he tells the women to go 
to his disciples and tell them, meet me in Galilee, and I will see them there, and I will teach them, I will speak to them, they will see me alive, physically, I'm not a phantom, Jesus is alive, risen from the dead, and so go to them and tell the eleven to meet me in Galilee. And that is what happens here at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. In obedience to Jesus' command, the eleven go to Galilee. They go to Galilee. And they're on a mountain. And mountains are very important in the Bible because on mountains, God speaks. God reveals himself and his plan. Think of Mount Sinai where he revealed himself, his holiness, his law. Jerusalem, the mount on Jerusalem, the city of David, where God's people assemble to worship on the mount of the temple. The mountain was a place of revelation, a place of authority, a place of God's power manifested. Think of Mount Carmel. What happened on Mount Carmel? What about the Mount of Olives? Later, Jesus will be on the Mount of Olives where he ascends into heaven. But before that takes place, he wants to meet them in Galilee on a mountain. An unknown mountain, but a mountain. And it is here where they see him and they worshipped him, but some doubted. Perhaps one of these doubters was Thomas. But those who had eyes to see and believe, spiritual eyes to see and believe, saw Jesus and marveled and worshipped him. Worshipped him. Don't let that word slip by you. They worshipped Jesus. A Jew. Eleven Jewish men worshipping Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. Or more. <laughs> Didn't they have a problem? Don't the Jews have a problem with a man claiming to be one with God? And here they are seeing Jesus and worshiping him because indeed he is Lord. They worship him. And Jesus, at verse 18, we read this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus here makes a great claim. He claims authority. Do you remember this morning when we read from our passage, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but have revealed them to little children. What is he saying about himself here? He is saying that he is Lord. He has authority. 
He is one with the Father. Jesus makes a bold, great claim. He declares that he has been given authority. When was he given authority? Surely it was even before his death and resurrection. Before his death and resurrection. You remember, we need to go back to the beginning of Matthew's gospel. At his baptism, when he was anointed by the Spirit. And the Father said, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And all authority was given to him to do what? To cast out demons. To heal the sick. To heal the lame. Jesus had authority then. He had power then. Because he is Messiah. He is the Christ. The Son of the living God. Who has all authority in heaven and on earth. From the time of his baptism in the Jordan, when he began his messianic mission to seek and to save the lost, to usher in his kingdom, he exercised authority, preaching with authority. What did the scribes say? Or what did, what did the people say about Jesus? Who is this man who preaches with such authority, more authority than the scribes do? And the authority, the, the authority of the scribes is pretty, pretty intense. They had some... Real authority in those days. Who is this man that preaches with more authority, teaches with more authority than the scribes? He healed with authority, cast out demons with authority. He demonstrated the unique relationship between him and the Father by his works done by him. So then even before his death and resurrection, Jesus exercised great authority. And we see, as I mentioned earlier, that the Gospels, particularly Matthew, is very Trinitarian from the beginning to the very end now of his Gospel. The work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And how Jesus is given great authority. But we also know that he received authority over all things. Because of his sacrificial offering and his resurrection from the dead. His perfect life and redemptive work earned for him, for him the name that is above every name. Do you remember Philippians chapter 2? Because Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, humbling himself. Earn the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is what? Lord. Jesus says, I have authority. All authority has been given to me. On heaven and on earth. God the Father highly exalted God the Son. Congregation of Christ, think carefully about Jesus' great claim here of authority. I want you to think carefully about this. Meditate upon it. He is Lord now. He is King now. He reigns now. He has authority now. If he did not have authority, what would we make of this worship service now? 
What would become of us as a people now? Christ is the king and head of the church. This is what we confess and believe. In fact, in, our, in the Federation's book of church order, it begins with that very biblical truth that Jesus Christ is king and head of the church. No man is head of the church. Only the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is head of the church because he has authority. And as Christians, we submit to that authority by the grace of God. And friends, he is, he is given the title, he is given authority because he has the natural right to it. The emphasis is on natural rights. You see, we're sons and daughters of the Most High by way of adoption. Jesus is the Son of God because he is by nature in his very being God. He is the natural Son of God. And as the natural Son of God, he has the natural right to make this great claim. According to his divinity, he is the natural Son of God. And according to his humanity, he is the son of David. He, therefore, is the rightful heir of the eternal throne where he exercises this great authority. And he is telling his disciples, the eleven, remember Judas went off to the place where he chose for himself. He tells the eleven, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What a grand and great claim that our Lord Jesus Christ has authority in all creation, visible and invisible, and this authority has been handed over to him by his Father. And Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. He can make this great claim because he has great authority, and he will accomplish it. He will accomplish it. If you are taking notes, Daniel chapter 7, we have a beautiful passage there of the Son of Man, and his great authority, 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have the Davidic covenant where Jesus Christ is, is foretold there. He will, he will sit on the eternal throne of David. How will Christ build his church? How will the kingdom of God advance against the forces of evil in Hades? How will the church move forward and march on in boldness, in truth, in hope, in love? Well, we look at the second point, the mandate of Christ, also known as the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. By his authority, by his authority, he now makes a great commission, a great mandate. Jesus Christ will use weak Sinful men. <laughs> to build his church through the preaching and teaching ministry. Wow. As the word is proclaimed by men, weak men, weak vessels, jars of clay... He will fulfill this mandate. 
He will build his church. He will advance his kingdom against the forces of evil and this present evil age. Notice what he says there. Because of the authority I have, I say unto you, go. Literally, it's having gone. Having gone, therefore, as if you've already gone and taken, went on a journey to go. Go, therefore. The go actually is a very good translation. Go, therefore, make disciples. Go where? It's very interesting here. He tells the disciples now, here in this great mandate, to go. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. You remember when he called the twelve to himself and then commissioned them to go to the lost sheep of Israel? Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And Jesus called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then he gives the names of the twelve disciples. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. And so the messianic mission was to first come to the lost house of Israel. But what happened? The people did not receive him. And now we have this great commission. Now, post-death and resurrection, I command you with my authority to go out. To go everywhere. To go to the nations. And be my ambassadors. Go in my authority that has been given to me. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. The Spirit's leading in the life of the disciples. The Spirit's leading in Paul's life, in Barnabas' life, in Silas's life, in Peter's life. Yes, Peter was an apostle to the Jews, but he did reach Gentiles. Let's not forget Cornelius' house. By the Spirit's leading, they were going. And here, herein lies one of the discontinuities between the Old and New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, what happened? The temple was in Jerusalem. And the nations came to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And so in the Old Testament, the people came to Jerusalem. They were coming into the city of David. But now in the New Testament, in the coming of Christ, who is the true temple, the people now go out from Jerusalem. There's that discontinuity. You remember John chapter 4, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman? On which mountain 
Will we worship on Mount Gerizim or the mountain in Jerusalem? Oh, there's going to be a time, and the time has already come, when my, the Father's people will worship Him in spirit and in truth, because the temple has come. He tabernacled among us, dwelt among sinners. He is the tabernacle, and where Jesus is, there His people will worship. Jesus is here now by His Spirit and Word, though His body is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And where Jesus is, there the temple of God is where the people of God is there is the temple of God and so go leave this land this area and go forth into the nations and preach my name declare my name among the nations go in my authority The people in the Old Testament came to Jerusalem to worship. In the New Testament, in the coming of Christ, the church is sent out to the peoples and nations and tribes and tongue. That's why they're called apostles. An apostle means sent one. One who is sent. The twelve were apostles, capital A. But missionaries, ministers, church planters... Servants of the Lord are apostles, lowercase a. They are sent out. And you, Christian, you, Christian, are in a sense, too, an apostle. In the sense that you are sent out, you leave the place of worship, and you go and serve the Lord as prophets, priests, and kings. There's a church in South Holland. I've always liked, when I drove past it, it was, always, it was always neat. It would have an entrance to the parking lot, enter to worship, and then the exit, it said, exit to serve. Enter to worship, exit to serve. That's the calling of every one of us. Some in official capacity, others not, but we are all called to this task of declaring the praise of God to the nations, declaring the word of God in both word and deed. You go to Kiev, Ukraine, and you tour the sites there in the city. One of the most popular monuments or statues that you'll see there are various statues of St. Andrew the Apostle. St. Andrew the Apostle was the, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ who was known to go to the Slavic peoples and brought the gospel. In obedience to Christ's command to go... Andrew, the apostle, went to the Slavs, to the people of Rus, to the kingdom of Rus, to preach Christ and him crucified. And much is said about the rest of the apostles. But do we not see this truth being done today? being accomplished today as a church is being built by our Lord Jesus Christ by his word and spirit through his servants. Jesus says, go therefore. He doesn't say, don't go or stay put. Wait for the people to come to you. No, he says, go. He says, go. 
Keep going. Go get them. Go get them. Be my ambassadors. Go in my authority. Make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. This word is, it's one word. It's to make disciples. It can be used as a command. Disciple. A verb, a command. Disciple the nations. Preach, teach, evangelize. This includes not only conversion. I talked about this this morning. It's not just converting sinners. It's also teaching them to be followers of Jesus. And so the word disciple is the main verb here. And just think of disciple being that main verb. And under it, you have baptizing and teaching. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What does that look like? Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's what discipleship is. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them the gospel so that they grow in grace. Make disciples, make followers of Jesus. Teach and preach them to follow me. What is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, here we have, once again, biblical evidence, proof text for the doctrine of the Trinity. Note, baptizing, baptizing in the name of, not in the names of, but in the name of, the one name, the holy name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Three persons, one name, one God. And when you go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is declaring His love for His child. And in that baptism is signified the washing away sins by the one blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by that baptism, the Holy Spirit is symbolized in the Spirit's dwelling in the baptized, in the believer, setting the believer to a life of holiness, a life of sanctification. What are the three parts? God, our Father, who is our Creator, God, the Son, and our deliverance, God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. All those parts we see visually with our eyes in the sacrament of baptism. This Christian rite where a person is set apart by God himself, saying, you are my child, you belong to me, and all the blessed benefits in the Lord Jesus Christ are yours. Justification, sanctification, glorification, all the benefits of Christ are yours and are seen in baptism. And so baptize, set my people apart by this visible outward sign. Where the triune God makes his claim upon his disciple, the disciple of Jesus, in this bloodless sacrament that points back to the grace of Jesus Christ and the washing away of sins. Go and make disciples. How? Baptizing them 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything, or teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Don't just lead them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Lead them to true discipleship under their Master and Lord Jesus by teaching them the commandments of life of Christ. Teach them to live out their faith in Christ as sojourners and exiles in this world. Teach them how to read the Word and study the Word and pray the Word. Teach them how to walk in holiness and righteousness according to the Word. Teach them the Sermon on the Mount where the teachings of Jesus are clearly exposited for us and what it means to walk as citizens of his kingdom. Teach them how to walk in grace. To be sure, and from this pulpit we, we labor to emphasize the fact that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And yet a, a, a disciple of Jesus learns and is taught to follow Jesus and to love his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. To love God and love neighbor. Boys and girls, you would not recognize Pastor Rossi before he was a Christian. The words that came out of my mouth, reprehensible, blasphemous, evil. God used my wife Carrie to share the gospel and truth about Jesus. God led me to hear my first sermon in South Holland at Thorn Creek Reformed Church. My first Protestant sermon as opposed to a homily. And by God's grace and spirit, he called me to follow Jesus through the preaching ministry of this church. By God's grace and spirit, I repented and believed what happened after that. I learned what was coming out of my mouth was offensive to God. And I said to myself, I do not want to offend my Lord and Savior who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see where I'm going with this? If you have been so loved and that Christ died for you, does that not impel you, compel you? Does not his love compel you to put to death the old man and put on Jesus? That's the, my testimony. What's yours? You have one. You have one. What's yours? What has God put into debt in your life? What is Jesus teaching you from his word and his command that drives you and compels you to say no more to sin? No more. I love Jesus. I want to follow him. Not to earn my salvation, but because I love him. I love him. I realized that my former life and my language, my foul language, didn't glorify him. It was ignorance and foolish. It was a very poor and sad reflection of who God is and who Jesus is. And my mentor, Pastor Mike Pitzenberger, the preacher at the time, became a friend and taught me how to follow Jesus. 
He modeled this very thing, this very teaching that Jesus is saying here, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Okay, Roberto, you believe in Jesus? Well, there's more to learn. You're not going to arrive. Let me teach you what it's like now to follow Jesus. He not only preached Christ, he not only taught Christ, but he showed me Christ by his life. How is the church or the federation of URCNA churches being obedient to Christ's mandate to go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching? A strong church is a church that prays and engages in this work, in this labor. How is Emmanuel being obedient to the mandate, go, make disciples, baptizing and teaching? I'm going to let you in on a little something here. I pray diligently for adult baptisms. I pray for adult baptisms, for adult conversions. I love covenant baptism. I love the, co- the baptism of our covenant youth. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love when adults are baptized and follow Jesus. Are we making disciples, baptizing and teaching within our own ranks? Are we going? And this is why it's so important to us as a congregation that we prayerfully, financially support TMC. This is an act in which we go. We are going. We want to make disciples of these young women. And so pray. What other areas might this look like for us in the year 2023? What might the Lord have us do in 2023 to go and make disciples? How might we respond in faith when the Lord opens doors for us to go and make disciples? If you ever get a chance or opportunity to talk to Reverends Brummel or Anima or Ipema about divine hope. It's amazing how these brothers are making disciples in the prisons. And what the Lord is doing through our brothers and sisters who are volunteering in the various prisons. Christ is building his church. And we go in that capacity too, to the prisons, to those who are helpless and hopeless, to the broken. Do you remember the movie Field of Dreams? I remember watching that with Kevin Costner way back when. It took place in Iowa. I don't know if that matters here. I guess a lot of Iowans here. There's a famous quote from the movie. If you build it, what? He will come. Kevin Coster, his character, receives a dream. And it's a dream to build a baseball field in a cornfield. And he hears this voice. If you build it, he will come. 
he refers to his father, his deceased father. But it also referred to the Chicago Blackhawks, or Black Sox, the infamous baseball team that cheated in the World Series way back in the early 1900s. And so he obeys this vision, this voice, and he builds a baseball field. And the cornstalk is the out, uh, outfield fence. He built it. Now they will come. And so one day, Costner is out by the field and he sees a pair out of the cornstalks, the Chicago Black Sox and his father playing baseball. They came from the dead. He meets his father. He plays catch with his deceased father. If you build it, he will come. Well, he built it and his father came. And he has a conversation with his father. Or the father says to to Costner, his son, I have a question to ask you. Are we in heaven? And Costner replies, this is Iowa. This is Iowa. And the father responds, responds, I could have swore this was heaven. Why do I bring up that story? Sounds foolish? Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> it's a movie. The church has this mindset. If we just put up a building, they will come. If you build it, they will come. If you start a ministry, they will come. The dead don't come until they hear the word. And the dead are not going to hear the word unless you and I go. So we can have a building, but if we don't go to serve How are they going to know? How are they going to come and worship and hear the Lord and be discipled? In his book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, there's the discipline of, of ministry, of, of evangelism, of witness. And he did a survey. There was a survey done of people who come to church and actually stay in church and join the church. And an overwhelming percentage, like in the 90 plus percentile, come to church and stay in church and join a church, become members of a church through somebody in the church. When you and I are a neighbor and welcome someone into this church to hear the word and be discipled and taught, about Jesus. The church goes and calls sinners to follow Jesus in faith. So he makes his great claim of authority. He makes his great commission or mandate. And now he makes a promise. The promise of Christ. Lest the church be greatly discouraged and feeling helpless in their missionary task. Jesus promises a great comfort. He promises his presence. Remember at the beginning of 
of the Gospel of Matthew, you know this well in the, the, the narrative of Christ, the birth narrative. He shall be called Emmanuel. Why? God, he is God with us. He is God with us. God has come in the flesh and he is with us always, even to the end of the age. How is he with us when his physical resurrected body is in heaven at the right hand of the Father? He is with us by his spirit. Remember, the spirit of God, our sanctification, <clears throat> was sent by the Father and the Son. Here we have again, once again, the work of the triune God. The Father sends the Son. The Son delivers his people. The Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son to sanctify the people of God and be present with them. What an encouragement to men who are to embark on this seemingly impossible mandate and commission. Apart from the Spirit, we can do nothing. This is the only way in which a minister or a preacher or a Christian can live out their faith and calling because of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us and is with us always, even into the end of the age, to give us a spirit of boldness and zeal. don't have time to go into this now, but John chapters 14 to 16, Jesus gives us quite the teaching on the Spirit's coming and the work of the Spirit in the life of the church. But Jesus sends his church on a mission, not without giving the eleven and the church throughout all subsequent generations a great promise. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, because for him to build his church in the gates of Hades to not prevail against it, he must abide in and with the church, lest the church be found helpless and hopeless and defenseless. Men, if you were given the task to build something, you would draw up a blueprint and determine and collect what kind of tools you need. And now for the sake of the illustration, just follow me on this one. If the tools that you needed had to be power tools. It requires electricity. Without the power of electricity, the power tool is ineffective. In order to accomplish the task, you need power. Think about what Jesus says. Look with me at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We read these words, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is just before his ascension to the right hand of the Father. He looks to his disciples and says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They will fulfill the great commission because of the great promise to them, given by Jesus, that I will be with you to the end of the age, and Christ is with his people by his Spirit, by the Spirit of the living God. 
Paul tells Timothy, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, not of fear, but a spirit, a power, a spirit of power, power and love and self-control. And so church of Jesus Christ, be bold in your witness, be bold in your worship of the triune God, be bold, be bold as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is with you always. And Jesus sends his church on a mission. He made a great claim of authority. He makes a great mandate, a great commission, and he promises a great comfort. And the advancement of Christ and his church is the work of this one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be bold. Be bold, Christian. Be confident in your labors in the Lord Jesus because he is with you. He is with you. And I encourage you, in closing, I encourage you to make it a matter of prayer. Pray diligently. Pray persistently. Pray for boldness for yourself and for the church. Pray for our witness before this community and those communities around us. Pray for your, his servants around this world giving testimony of God's word. Pray. Pray. Pray for your leaders of this congregation that we would be granted wisdom and insight and understanding on where to lead the church in the coming year and years to come to fulfill this mandate to go and make disciples. Let us not be delinquent in this, but be serious in this effort to not just talk the talk and say Oh, we are called to make disciples, to go. I'm tired of going to conferences and talking about it and not doing anything. D.L. Moody was once confronted by a Calvinist because this Calvinist didn't like the way he was doing evangelism. And D.L. Moody says, you know what? I like my way of doing it than your way of not doing it. We pray. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask persistently, pray persistently. Seeking is asking plus doing, putting your hand to the plow and working. And should the Lord open doors, praise be to God. Should he close doors, praise be to God. The point is we are called to be faithful. Called to be faithful and give praise to God because of his promise that he will build his church. He will build his church. And we have the great joy and privilege to engage in that work. Do you realize that, Christian? Do you realize that we are called to engage in that very work that Christ calls us to? We are his soldiers for this work. What a profound teaching of the word of God. And what a humbling task. But praise be to God for his promise of his presence with us. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for this great commission that is grounded in the great claim that you, oh Lord Jesus, have been given authority over all things, all things in heaven and on earth. And we, O Lord, are called to go and make disciples, to baptize and teach 
all that you have commanded. Help us, O Lord, as a congregation to be faithful in this labor as we commit them to you and your grace. Help us, O Lord, as a federation of churches to not just talk the talk, but to walk in accordance to what we believe concerning the word of God and your command, Lord Jesus, to go and make disciples. To not just be pew sitters, but heavy hitters for the Lord Jesus. O Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us and grant us wisdom as we seek to fulfill the calling that you have placed in our lives. And Lord, help us and remind us that the results are up to you. They are not in our hands. The fruit of our labors, O Lord, are in your hands. You, O Lord, are sovereign. You, O Lord, produce fruits. And so help us simply to be faithful to our calling. In Jesus' name we pray.